Welcome to the Coastline Podcast. We exist as a church to help connect you to God and the people around you, to help you grow in your faith, and to challenge you to go into your community sharing the love of Christ. Three things, connect, grow, go. If you'd like information on what is going on at Coastline, follow us on Instagram and Facebook or email us at hello at coastlinensb.com. How's everybody doing? You guys having a good Easter so far? Everybody, three people are awake. Everyone's still trying to wake up. It's tough when you wake up in these uh, little kind of dreary mornings, right? This isn't typical New Smyrna Beach weather uh, that we hope for. Um, <clears throat> hey, if this is your first time here, first time in a while, I want to introduce myself. My name is Brian Nichols. I'm the pastor here at Coastline. I want to thank you so much uh, for coming and hanging out with us here uh, this Easter. Um, we just uh, got done doing a um, really intensive setup and teardown of a sunrise service that we've done something like six, six years in a row now we've done this. Uh, we did sunrise service this morning at 7 o'clock. We had some of our team uh, that were up at like 4 o'clock, in, 4, o'clock, 4 o'clock is what I was trying to say. Clop is not a word. 4 o'clock in the morning, they were there getting ready, putting it together, and I think we had something like at least a couple thousand people uh, that showed up uh, in the midst of the mist, in the midst of a little bit of cold, in the midst of some wind. Um, and, uh, and man, it was fantastic getting together uh, with our church community, with our uh, even some other churches in, the, in, uh, in our community, and just celebrating that Jesus has risen. Amen? Um, I know some of you guys are double dipping. Some of you came in here. You're coming to church today, too. That's great. I think that's awesome. Um, I also want to take a quick second and welcome all the people that are watching online. Maybe you woke up this morning and you're like, man, I just don't know if I can fight the mist and the wind, drive to, school, to church or whatever. That's all right. Thanks for tuning in and checking us out uh, online. Um, also, what happened here, I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, wait a little or burn a little bit of time because I have no idea where my table or my notes are. TJ is working on it right now. Um, <clears throat> Huh? You can get it if you want to. Thank you so much. You're the best. Um, <clears throat> but also this week, this, uh, this past Sunday, or at Sunrise Service, we baptized five people, which is definitely worth celebrating about. Yeah. Five people that, uh, that decided, you know what, after continuing to, to develop this relationship with Jesus as they've, as they've been following him, uh, they switched gears and said, you know what, we're going to make this public and we're going to become uh, followers, publicly declaring uh, that we're followers of Jesus Christ. And so five people did that, really excited for them. It was a big deal. Almost got swept away. There was some serious whip, rip currents, um, but, it, but it worked out. It worked out all right. So this morning, uh, specifically as we've uh, woken up early and we've tried to get uh, all of our family together and looking uh, just absolutely pristine, get ready for the, the Easter photo booth and stuff like that. Uh, I want to specifically talk about the time uh, in Jesus' life right after his death. There's some, there's some things that happen. We, we talk about the moments leading up to it and, and, and him going before Pontius Pilate and him going before the Sanhedrin. Uh, and as, as me and some of the staff got together last night and, and, and watched the Passion of the Christ, um, as we sat there and we, we watched it, we realized like, there was some very heavy stuff. This is one of those things that even, at, even as we watched it, it was one of those things that was, it was hard for us to watch and imagine what Jesus had to go through. And then to think back, that, to understand that that was just a preview. That was just a small two-hour snippet of what actually 
of what actually happened. It was this incredibly heavy moment for, for Jesus and for those that were around him. To think of in the perspective of, of, his mo- of his mother who would have sat there and seen it happen and Peter who would have denied it Jesus three times. John who was sitting there watching it all happen. These guys had seen Jesus do all these miracles and now before their eyes you see him beaten and bruised and mangled to the point where they might not even have been able to, to recognize him. It's this incredibly heavy moment. But that's not where the, that's not where the story stops, amen? Because we know that today, the reason that we're celebrating together is that three days later, Jesus would come back to life. He would beat hell, death, and the grave and would come and be able to experience and be able to show us what life eternally would look like in heaven with him. And so this morning, I want to specifically focus on a couple things. One is, as Jesus is on the cross, we see him say these, these very last words. The words are, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he goes on and he says, Father, unto you I commit my spirit. He says, it is finished. There's two main things we see here. The first one we hear up to the point of his death, he's still communicating and professing that forgiveness is the way. And ultimately at the end, he says, God, I, I surrender it all to you. And so today as we read through this time, this period after Jesus' death, right up and leading to and just after his, his resurrection, I want us to see it through this lens of us holding on to forgiveness and us surrendering these things to God. So let me pray for us and we're going to jump right into it. God, I pray right now that you would give me the exact words that you would want me to say. God, I pray that you would allow us to be free in our, in our minds and our hearts of distraction. I pray that the things that we need to worry about tomorrow would, God, I know they'll wait till tomorrow. The things that we, we need to finish even before family comes up. God, I pray that you would just help us put all that aside and allow us to focus our minds completely and 100% on you. As we celebrate this story, as we see key parts of this, I pray that we would attach ourselves to the hope and understanding that, that through you, because of you, the best is still yet to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. Hey, um, we're going to be reading this uh, part of the story from the book of Luke. If you've got a Bible, you can pull it open now, or you can watch it uh, up on the screen. It'll be here. Uh, also, if you're tuning in online, you can actually go to the Bible app and hit live events on that, and you can actually see and follow along with us as we're going through uh, my notes and, and the scripture. But the book of Luke was written by a man named Luke, and Luke was a physician. And so the cool thing about understanding when I read the book of Luke is I know that because he was a physician, he was probably a pretty smart guy. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't a fisherman like Peter, which Peter probably wasn't very well educated. He wasn't necessarily someone that was like good with numbers, like maybe Matthew would have been the tax collector. 
But this man would have been a very intelligent man. He would have been a smart man. He would have been able to research. And I promise you that before he, he wrote this book, before he wrote these words, he would have known exactly what he was talking about. He would have communicated and talked to uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. He would have talked to, to Peter. He would have talked to the disciples. He would have gathered them all together and understood clearly what he was writing. And because of that, when we read the book of Luke, we see some of the most detail of any of the Gospels. And so in Luke... Chapter 22, we're going to start in verse 50. This is right after Jesus has been put to the cross, after he said, Father, unto you I commit my spirit. And it says that as he, as he passes away, he says the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, something that was impossible to do. Many believe that it was, it was God signifying that the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God was no longer held and captive behind that veil in the holiest of holies, but now it was accessible to all. And as he dies on the cross, as his mother sees him, and as the disciples are scattered, we pick up here in verse 50 through 54. It says this, it says, Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, Joseph was a member of the Jewish high council. Now, this was a big deal because Jewish high council was part of the, 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 the people, the group of people that actually took Jesus to Pilate that said he had, he had broken laws, that they tried him unjustly. He was part of the, the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decisions and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. This means he would have believed many of the things the same way that, that Jesus had been teaching them. It says that in verse 52 that he went to Pilate and he asks for Jesus' body. It says then he took him down, uh, then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and he laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. It says, this was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as a Sabbath was about to begin. We don't hear much about Joseph after this. But what we do hear is that because he was part of, of, of the high priest, he had access. He goes to Pilate, and, and he understands who, who Jesus was, and he understands what has just happened. And, and, and it doesn't matter. It, we don't know if it was because of compassion or because of, of what he saw had happened. He goes and he uses his access, he uses his influence to approach Pilate, who would have been the governor in all that territory, and he asks for the body of Jesus. And in this, this time of compassion, he takes his, Jesus' body before the Sabbath, is, the Sabbath is to come, and he wraps him in linen, and he puts him inside of a tomb. We don't hear much about Joseph afterwards, but as I was reading this this past week, I realized that there's something, that because of what Joseph did, we continue today to tell this story of how Jesus beat death and the grave and was able to come out of this tomb and live life again. And as I read this this past week, I realized that sometimes in our lives, we, we get to the point where where we start to build ourselves up and we start to think, man, that if I can just get so many things together, if I, can just, if I can just get through this next season of my life, 
If I can get through these projects or whatever it is, I can get to a place where God can use me. But ultimately, if you want God to use you, God just wants to use you with what you have. Joseph goes and he goes in with his, his influence. He goes in with his access. He takes what he has of this tomb and, and he uses it to put Jesus in. And with just what Joseph, just with what Joseph had, Jesus is able to do this amazing thing that we still thousands of years later continue to talk about. I think many people think that, that when it comes to having Jesus use us, when the Holy Spirit wants to use us, it means that we've got to give up of something. We've got to give up of everything. There's got to be this grand gesture. We've got to go to seminary. We've got to go to a mission trip or we've got to do something. And a lot of times Jesus just says, I just want to use what you have in your hand. I, I want to be able to do something amazing with what's just in front of you. In chapter 23, verse 55, it says this. It says, as his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and, he saw, and they saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they had finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. As Eric and I and some of the staff were watching, watching the Passion of the Christ yesterday, it was, uh, it was one of these things where it was very clearly would have been a traumatic thing to see in person. It would have been one of those things where, like, in the moment, the grief would have been incredibly overwhelming to the point where you would throw all logic aside. But for some reason, Luke, he communicates about this specifically that, that when it came to this time, when it came to them experiencing Jesus being put to the cross and being put, to, put in this tomb, they still observe keeping the Sabbath and taking time to rest. Now, this is something that goes back years and years before Jesus even came around, all, all the way up into the story that is communicated about creation, in which God took seven, six days to create heaven and earth and everything in it, to create man and woman and all the animals that are a part of it. And on the seventh day, he stopped and rested. And I can't help but see the tie in that, even as Jesus is doing his work on the cross, as he's, as he's, he's putting in, uh, the, the time and going to battle to beat death in the grave, he still takes this, this Saturday, this Sabbath time, and everything just stops. There was work that had to get done. There was things that had to happen. Jesus' body was just in a tomb by itself. There had been nothing done to preserve him or, or that was supposed to happen when it came to, to burying someone. But still his mother and the people around the they stop and they observe the Sabbath. And I can't help but think that in, in our culture and time that we've gotten to the point where rest and being recharged is something that we continue to put on the back burner. It's something that we continue to put away and, and, and not really value as much as what we should. But if we see clearly that, that God says rest is important and Jesus still communicate that rest is important, shouldn't there be a time in which we understand that, like, hey, as followers of Christ, we should 
heed this warning, that we were not created to be humans, to be beings that just work, 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 that there should be time for us to stop and to rest and to recharge. I'm going to tell you, I think a lot of the problems that are going on in the world right now, a lot of the stresses that people have and the worries and the anxiety that they go through, their problems is because they've gotten in the habit of just going, 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 going. And, and I think it would have been easy for God to have given Jesus the power to just come back the very next day. But I think it's important for us to that there's time where we all have got to just stop and rest. In verse 1 of chapter 24, it says, After they had put all these things together, after they had put the spices and the, the ointments together and gotten ready, it says that early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. It says they took their spices that they had prepared and they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. And then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. You know, I think uh, how shocking must it have been for those women who we're going to go take care of the body of Jesus to, to show up and realize that he wasn't there anymore. That's not, that's not what they expected at all. I think sometimes we allow our expectations to get in the way of God doing something in us. I think sometimes we, we expect things to happen a specific way. We, we're, we're controlling enough where we think, man, life's supposed to happen this exact way. We're supposed to get these pieces together. When the truth of the matter is Jesus wants to work outside of your expectations. And when he does, he does some amazing things. Can you imagine what would have happened if those women had rolled up and and they got what they expected. Sometimes working in the unexpected ways is the way that Jesus likes to work the best. The thing I love about this story, too, is, is I know that Jesus is he's all about the underdog. You see the people that Jesus had come around him, people that, that were fishermen, that you wouldn't think we're smart enough. He had tax collectors that, that were traitors to their people. He got these people that no one would have expected to be following a rabbi. He says, if you come with me, I want to change the world with you. But he doesn't stop there. Because even in the story of his resurrection, 
You know, here's the thing. If you were to tell a story in those days and you want people to believe it, if you were trying to fabricate a story, if you were trying to, to, to convince people of a lie, you would, you would use someone, you would quote someone that was of high stature, someone that was very successful, someone that had lots of power, maybe a centurion, maybe, maybe a leader of, of, uh, of the religious sect, maybe someone who, uh, a man that had uh, high standing in his community. But in those days, because of the way culture was, women were not the ones that you would have quoted saying, the woman saw this, the woman did this. They just, because of the culture that they, they didn't have the respect that they have today. But still Luke writes this. He writes that these women go and they don't find Jesus' body. In verse 9 to 10 it says, so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Jonah, Mary the mother of James, this would have been the Mary the mother of Jesus as well, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. You know who was the very first people to tell anyone about the good news of Jesus? It was a group of women. That, that in their culture, in their time, would have not had the credibility to say that they were starting to tell or talk about this conversation. If Luke was trying to, to make this up, he would have picked someone else to have found the empty tomb. But he wrote it like this because this is what happened. And we would see the story of Jesus coming back to life. That story spread like wildfire, like, like better than any type of viral movie or TikTok or whatever else that you watch has ever spread. And it wasn't just because a group of women started talking about it. That's just who started it. Because afterwards, Jesus would reveal himself to many of the disciples, many of the followers. He would go on to, to show them that because of what he did, that they would go on to do greater things than what even he did. But as I see these disciples that he gathered, and as I see this group of women that culturally would not have been an extreme or have been credible, I realize that Jesus is about the underdog. Jesus is about the normal, blue-collar, everyday person. And we've got to get our minds out of this thought that we've got to make it first. That we've got to have our stuff together first. That we've got to understand what the Bible says first. And then if we get all these things together, then we've got the pieces that Jesus can then go and use. The truth of the matter is that he just wants to do a work in you. And it starts with the very last words they said on the cross. It starts with forgiveness. 
and it starts with surrender. Doesn't matter how educated you are, doesn't doesn't matter how religious you are, doesn't matter how old you are, or what your social hierarchy is, how much money you got in the bank, or how many degrees that you have. Starts with forgiveness and surrender. And so today, as as we remember that Jesus is alive and well, I want to give you the opportunity to ask for forgiveness, to forgive, and to surrender. For some of us in this room, there's things that have been separating us from Christ. There's times in which we've continued to choose what we want. We've pursued certain things that we selfishly desired. We got in specific habits that took us down a road that now we're so far off course of what we think that God wants for us that we don't know how to get back. I think it starts with this. I think it's understanding that there's nothing that you can do. There's no actions that you can take. The only thing you can do is ask for forgiveness. It says that he's quick to forgive. There's not a price that you have to pay because he's already paid the price. He already did it. And Good Friday, as I talked through Peter denying Jesus, I realized something. I realized that that during that supper time, Jesus told Peter, he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster even crows. Jesus knew what Peter was going to do before Peter even did it. But still, Jesus followed through. As he's on the cross and as he takes on the weight of sin and shame, in spite of what Peter did, he died for him, he died for me, he died for you. There's nothing that you can do to make it right for what's held you back. The only thing you can do is ask for forgiveness. I think as someone who follows Christ, I don't think we can ask for forgiveness unless we've also forgiven those around us. So as you're sitting here today and as you feel, if you feel like there's a separation, maybe it's time for you to surrender that, to forgive that person that you've been holding a grudge to, that person that, that, that you felt like, I just can't, can't let it go, what they did to me so long ago. I think if we're going to accept the freedom of Jesus, We've got to be able to give free. We got to be able to give forgiveness to those around us. And the last thing is surrender. I think that much like Joseph brought what he had, much like those women came after they spent that time in the Sabbath, they they brought their things together. They brought what they had. Ultimately, we bring who we are, what we have, and we surrender it to Jesus. Our stresses, our worries, our anxiety, our fears, our plans. I think if if we want to see Jesus do something amazing in us, I think it starts with those two things, forgiveness and sacrifice. 
And so with that, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just between you and him, if there's something that's been between you and him, if there's been separation, if you feel like you need forgiveness for something, I just want you in, in your mind, as you sit here and as you connect with him, as we sing these songs in the next few moments, to just say these words to yourself, Jesus, you know what I've done. Today, I ask you to come in and forgive me. I accept the price that you paid. And today, I want to start life as a new creation. If you're here today and you feel like you've been holding back, there's something that's been keeping you from connecting with him. Maybe there's something that you need to surrender. You know what it is, I don't. But maybe as we sing these songs, you open up your hands and you surrender to him and say, when it comes to my finances, when it comes to my job, when it comes to the fears that I have, when it comes to this next big decision, Jesus, I'm going to surrender it. I'm going to give it to you. I promise you if we do this, he'll be able to do far to greater things through us than what we can do through ourselves. Then pray for us. Jesus, you know the things that are separating us. You know the things that we need to surrender. I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would now come upon us and show us these things. And I pray that as we sing these songs, as we surrender these things to you, as we ask for forgiveness, as we give forgiveness, God, I pray that you would reconnect us and use us in ways far greater than what we could expect. I thank you so much for what you're going to do. In your name we pray. Amen. As always, Coastline, know that you are loved and that the best is yet to come.